Uh, so a lot of my stories, at least probably for a little bit now, uh, is going to do with my marriage, uh, because I am still, and Maria, we're still newlyweds, and so uh, as we explore our married life, uh, I, I, I come across stories and illustrations, and, and this morning, uh, I asked her, I was like, hey, can I share this? And she, again, she always says, surprise me, and so hopefully at the end of uh, the sermon, she will still love me and like me. And so uh, as we were getting married, we're, we're learning new things about each other. And I'm sure it doesn't matter how long you've been married uh, or been friends with others or your family or whoever it is that you are in relationship with, uh, you are often learning something new about each other. Of course, Maria and I uh, are learning something new about each other all the time. Uh, and so one of the things that we had to navigate amongst many are little living situations, right? So uh, she now, we now live together, and so there's things that we have to deal with and to compromise in, or, or uh, not compromise, she just gets it, and so that's good. Uh, one of the things was, for example, which way you put the toilet paper on the roll. There's only one way, right? It goes over. Anything under is weird, like that shouldn't happen. Yes, thank you. I know I'm going to applaud for that. Okay, so that's one thing. We've come to a compromise. We agree that that's the truth. Okay, uh, but the last few days, one of the things that we've been wrestling with was, uh, and sorry if this is a little TMI, but, but what side of the bed uh, one will sleep on? Okay, and, and unfortunately, uh, we both are advocating for ourselves uh, the same side of the bed. And uh, after all this, you know, discussing, and, and I wouldn't say arguing, but definitely having passionate conversations about what side we will sleep on, uh, I lost that argument, uh, and she gets to sleep on the side of the bed that I like to sleep on. Uh, but I would say that the joke is a little bit on her because uh, we made a deal. And some would say it's bribery, but I would say it's a deal. She gets what she wants, and I get what I want. And I said, okay, I will give you this side of the bed, uh, but you have to give me ten hugs. Okay, you have to get... Now, you, now you know between the two of us who the lovey-dovey kind of mushy person is. Uh, and so I said, okay, in order for, you to, you know, for me to give this up and, and, to, and to lose here, you have to give me ten hugs. But here's the stipulation. These hugs can happen at any time in place, anywhere, any time. So, uh, so she still owes me five more. Uh, and I told her I was gonna, uh, that this week, sometime while she's in an important meeting at, at her job, I'm going to call her and say, I'm downstairs, I'm ready for my sixth hug. Uh, and so the joke's a little bit on her because uh, I think I, I won this one. I, I'm cashing in on my hugs throughout the next, who knows, next week, next year, next two years, but I'm going to ask for it. And I said, there's going to be like real hugs. And, and, and I love, the best part is her facial expression. We're just sitting here and I'll say, okay, I'm cashing in. Whatever you're doing, you got to stop. You got to come here and give me a hug. And she goes with the deal. Uh, and just the look on her face. And she's like, oh, okay. And she like stomps over and I'm just smiling because I'm loving this. Uh, and so, again, sometime this week, I'm going to show up to her office while she's in an, in an important meeting and ask for a hug. But all that to say, it, 
is we're going through, and she finally asks me, like, why was it so important for you to have this side of the bed? And, and I said, okay, I'm going to just tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you my reason right now. And, and the reason is this. If there was an intruder, okay, that came through the, you know, nicely came through the door and came through the room door, I would be laying down and I would be in between the door and you. And, and immediately I thought, boom, okay, like, that's husband of the year, right? Like, I, I, in my mind, what she is thinking is, wow, I have the best husband ever, and then we made eye contact. Remember that, you know that eye contact where you just know what they're thinking even though they don't say it? And the look that she gave me was, you can't be serious. That is what you are afraid of? That is the reason you've been putting up this fight? That is the reason that we've been having conflict on who sleeps where? And it's because you think that maybe one day that someone's going to come through the front door or the room door and you get to save the day. And I said, yes, I do. And that is why. And I would say, you know, that could be legitimate fears in many places. And I'll be honest, it was a little ridiculous as I was kind of retracking what I just said. Because I've never been through anything traumatic, uh, thankfully. I've, I've never had my personal safety in jeopardy. You know, I grew up, although I grew up in the mean streets of, of Mill Creek, Washington, uh, nothing serious has ever happened to me. And so I can understand why that sounds so ridiculous. And for some of you that are not natural or native to Seattle, Mill Creek is a suburb north of, I would say, much north of Seattle, which I would say it's the mean streets of Mill Creek. Many of you would not agree with that. It's just Mill Creek. Um, For some of you, you might think that this fear is legitimate. For some of you, you might think it's borderline paranoia. But but the point is this. Whether uh, it's this or that, we all fear something. We all, it's just a part of our natural uh, being is that we all have fears. There's something about our human condition that's, that's, that's fear, and, and, and this is the part I, I don't like, but there's something about the human condition that's, that sets fear as a natural default setting in our bodies, in our minds, in our spirits. And, and oftentimes, and we've all experienced this, that fear oftentimes leads to anxiety, leads to detachment, or even the opposite of that, codependency, discouragement. Maybe even fear causes us to be paralyzed and taking the next right step for our own lives. See, I bet we've all experienced in our life a, a type of fear that leads us down a dark valley one way or another. Maybe it's the fear of being alone. Maybe it's the fear of, of not making it whatever making it means to you. And the fear of not being successful. A fear of dying, which I think is legitimate. Or a fear of somebody else dying, which I also think is legitimate. A fear of confrontation. A fear of what someone might think about you. A, a fear that might be irrational to, to, to others, but makes perfect sense to you. Maybe it's fear of what happens after you graduate. Maybe it's a fear of what happens after you retire. Maybe it's a fear currently in our social and our political climates. All that to say is we all have fear because it tends to be this natural human condition where it becomes our natural default setting. 
We live in the most anxious generation of all times. Research from the World Health Organization says three million people suffer uh, from a depression or an anxiety disorder. The National Institute of Health says that uh, anxiety disorders in children and teens went up 20% in just in the last couple of years. And nearly one in three of all young people between ages of 13 and 18 will experience an anxiety disorder. With that said, if you feel like this is you or your child or someone you know, please urge them to get help, professional help. And I just want to say this as as believers, as Christians, as a pastor, as a friend, that there should be uh, no stigma behind that. I think it's a responsible thing to do. And at the end of the day, I do believe that God uses people, modern medicine, professionals, education, to bring comfort to people in ways that they need. But I'll also say that the Bible, when it comes to the Bible, the Bible is not shy. The Bible is not hesitant when it talks about this idea of fear and anxiety either. All throughout the scriptures, depending on translation, there's over three to to 500 statements about fear alone. Statements like in Deuteronomy, he will never... uh, He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And Isaiah says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. First John, many of us know this, perfect love casts out all fear. And Joshua, I love this verse. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And then again, we get to John chapter 14 in verse 27. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. And what's happening is that Jesus is speaking to the disciples. And in scholarship, John chapter 13 through chapter 17, it's called the Upper Room Discourse. Which all that means is there's something, it's a conversation, it's in one event that happened in the upper room. No one really knows who's home or, or who owned this upper room. But in this upper room, uh, there was a, a discourse, a number of events that happened in one setting. And it was a lot. But you have to understand that in this upper room, this was like a family meeting. It was more like uh, a family dinner, a family get-together. Uh, and in this kind of private meeting with the disciples, many things happen. Jesus washes Peter's feet. He foretells Peter's denial. He says, you know, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And of course, Peter's like, no, I'm not. I would never do that. He predicts Judas's betrayal for Jesus, for money. And the most disturbing thing out of all of this, Jesus tells his disciples, I am leaving. I'm leaving. I'll be gone for a moment. I'll be gone. And so in this discourse, in a matter of one dinner, everything kind of hit the fan. Like you have to understand, Jesus is telling his disciples, kind of dropping all these nuggets, saying, Peter, you're going to deny me. Uh, uh, Judas, you're going to betray me. Oh, things are not going to be good. Uh, and guess what? I'm going to be gone. I'm leaving. And I love this part. You can see the reaction. It says, my children, uh, chapter 13 says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you. 
So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Now, I want you to hear this with with a little bit of fear and trepidation in Peter's voice. Jesus says, I'm leaving. Not only am I going somewhere, but you can't come with me. He says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay, my, lay down my life for you. See, in this matter of context of everything that's going on, you can hear, not just in Peter, but probably in all the other disciples that were there, the fear, the anxiety, the worry. When Jesus says, don't be troubled, they were certainly troubled. When Jesus says, uh, do not be afraid, they were definitely afraid. What is going to happen next? I'd argue that they were even probably a little bit angry at what Jesus is saying too. You see, at this moment in the upper room, their whole world just flipped upside down. You see, they risked their lives to follow Jesus as in time where following Jesus wasn't very popular. In fact, it wasn't just unpopular, it can cost them their lives. You see, on one side, the Jews uh, saw it as blasphemy. On the other side, the Romans saw it as treason uh, because there was only one Lord, and that was Caesar, and the consequence of treason is death. You see, these disciples, they put all their stock in him, everything. They gave their lives to Jesus. Peter says, I will give my life to you, Jesus. And that's what they did, essentially, by saying, you know what? I'm going to follow you in 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 a world where following you would literally cost me my life. And so when everything was supposed to be better because they decided to follow Jesus, in one moment, everything gets worse. Their lives were flipped upside down. Last summer, uh, I was reading an article uh, about this couple who was engaged, and uh, they had a wedding venue all set uh, for you know, this local place in Seattle, uh, they put all their money into it. All the guests were invited. Everything was ready to go. And then they said, on the day of their wedding, they get a text message from the owner of the venue and says, sorry, we're closing our doors. On the day of their wedding. Now, I don't know how it ultimately unfolded, but there was an article that said at that moment, uh, they had nowhere to go. They, they were desperate. They didn't know what to do. At that very moment when they had everything all put together, all ready to go, all the stock, uh, you know, placed in this venue, suddenly on the day of their wedding, on the day of their ceremony, they get a text message that says, sorry, we are closing. Now, you can imagine the, you know, worry would be the, the, the you know, at the least, they were, they were worried, they were afraid, they had tons of anxiety, as you can imagine. And if you can imagine how they felt, you, you can somewhat imagine how these disciples felt. Again, they put everything in one bucket. Jesus, I will follow you. This is it. This will make my life better. You are the one. I give my life to you. And suddenly, Jesus says, thank you and goodbye. And where I go, you cannot follow. In chapter 14, Jesus makes it very clear. And in other verses, 
do not let your hearts be troubled. Isn't that funny? Like, I, I look at that, and Jesus is saying, all right, uh, you know, you've chosen to give my, your life for me. You can die, but, but don't worry. You're with me. I love you. You love me. This is great. Uh, but actually, plot twist, I'm leaving. And in addition to that, his response, even though he knows and sees all these anxieties and worries and concerns and fear, he says, but don't worry. Do not be afraid. And in verse 26, he says, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And so what Jesus is saying is, in your time of fear, and this is all throughout the Bible, in your time of anxiety, in your time of fear, in your time of worry, in your time of not knowing what the future holds, there's this idea in the Hebrew tradition that just says to remember. And Jesus is saying, yes, you have everything to be afraid of. Yes, things are not looking good. Yes, I see the timidity in you. Yes, I see this, the fear in you. Yes, I see it. But remember. Just remember. And, and so I just want to go down uh, just, just quickly just a few things that that Jesus is saying to remember. And the first I'll call this. Jesus says to remember fear. Don't fear. Fear. Just don't fear. See, there's this distortion that Christians uh, should never fear. Right? It's one of those distortions that I don't know where it comes from, but it says that if you fear, it's because you don't have faith. And ultimately that if you believe in Jesus... Fear, at best, is simply unnecessary. Or at worst, it's a sin, something that God does not like. Because it ultimately means, again, that you do not have faith. But in the midst of that distortion, that if you have fear, it means it's because you don't have faith and you're far away from God. And and if you know Jesus and you go to church and you read your Bible, then there's nothing to be afraid of. In that midst of the distortion, we have to deal with something. We come across, uh, you know, these verses in in John chapter 14. uh, And what we see is that there's different words for fear. The main words are Phobos, and, and that might sound familiar to you, like a phobia. Some of you guys might have phobia of something. Uh, to fear, to be afraid. And, and then there's this other word, terasso, which means to be troubled, which we see it says do not be troubled, do not have terasso, do not fear. Uh, but it's a little bit deeper than just being afraid. It says do not fear, do not be terrified. And when the Bible uses the word Tarasso over Phobos, it wants to emphasize, do not be terrified. Do not tremble. And then it says, uh, do not be afraid, which is the word delilo, which only happens one time in the Bible, so we're not going to deal with that right now. But these two words I want to talk about, especially Tarasso. Because Jesus says, I can feel that you have Tarasso in you. And then he says, but don't have that. Don't be afraid. Do not be troubled. Don't have terrasso. Not just phobos. I can see that you have terrasso. Don't do that. The, the problem with that and, and the distortion that we have is this. is that there, throughout the New Testament, um, Jesus is also described to have trouble. 
And the trouble that Jesus experiences is also Tarasso. And so how in the world is Tarasso a sin or that if you are close to God, you should never feel it when Jesus actually felt Tarasso, fear, trouble himself? In John chapter 12, verse 21 says, Now my soul is troubled. This is Jesus talking. And the word, the Greek word is Tarasso. The very thing that Jesus told his disciples not to have here one chapter, just one chapter before, Jesus actually has. Now my soul is troubled, Tarasso. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this reason I came to this hour. So he, knew, he knows what's about to happen. And of course, he's afraid. He's troubled. He's concerned. And again, another chapter after that, after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified very truly. I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. So you see, even though there's this distortion that fear in Christianity and our faith does not mix, I would say this, that fear is not a bad thing. How could it be? Again, Jesus had fear. Fear is, is your brain's way of telling you that something <clears throat> is wrong. You should fear going down that dark alley. Don't do it. You should fear a, a person around you being violent. You should fear eating that sandwich with mayo that was left for three days in the sun. I know from experience. You should fear that. Don't eat that. Jesus tells us not to have fear. And yet he feared himself. Because although, although the, in the Greek it's the same word, terasso, of being fearful or, or being terrified or being troubled, in the Jewish mind there's a difference. In the Jewish mind uh, there's different types of fear. It might be translated the same word in the Greek, but in this Jewish philosophical understanding of fear, it comes down to two different words, pakad which is, again, panic, dread, disaster. And there's this word, yarah. It's also fear. The Bible uses the word fear. In the English, it's all fear. It's all fear. In the New Testament, the Old Testament, it's all fear. It's just one word, but you can see the complexities and why we have to kind of dig in and say, well, maybe there's, there's more to it. And so in the Old Testament, pakat is, again, in English, fear or to be afraid, panic, dread, disaster. But Yerach is fear also, but reverence and awesome. And think of the you're, you're in awe of something. You're honoring something. One Jewish rabbi, uh, Alan Liu, and, and I don't actually suggest you look into his stuff, but I love what he says about Pakad and Yerach. Pakad is more like a projected or imagined fear. Yerah is the fear that overcomes us. And I love, this I do love. Yerah is the fear that overcomes us when we suddenly find ourselves in possession of something cons- with, something cons- with considerably more energy than we are used to. Yerah is when we are inhibiting a larger space than we are used to inhibiting. I love that fear that overcomes us when we suddenly find ourselves in possession of considerably more energy than we have ever felt. See, in our lives, we've both, we've felt both types of fear, pakad and yara. 
We felt pakad, fear of failure, fear of criticism, fear of losing security, fear of many other, and maybe not all, I'm not diminishing your fears, but many other imagined fears. But we've also felt the fear of Yarah when we uncover our dreams, when we contemplate taking risks for a more authentic life, when we encounter the presence of God, all these things, we, we even use the same word in English, I'm, that scares me. When I think about what I want to do in the future, that scares me. When I think about what God wants me to do, to forgive, to love, uh, to give away, that scares me. You see, many times we blur those lines of pakad and yarah. And in the moments of fear in our lives, we have a choice to which kind of fear will we have. Is it pakad or is it yarah? To whom or to what will you give power to? Because ultimately to fear something is to give power to, is to stand in awe, is to honor, is to have reverence for. And if you're thinking about your fears, maybe they're imagined, maybe they're irrational, whatever it is, you look at that fear and say, yes, this is something I fear. But do you realize that there's a God who was with you? That there is this Holy Spirit that Jesus says that, that, that is within you. Even though Jesus himself is gone, we have the Spirit of Jesus within us. We possess the strength, the courage, the bravery of Christ. And so between the promises and the reminder of who God is in our lives and the fear that you might have, which one do you pay homage to? Which one is bigger? Which one is stronger? And I'm not saying this fear disappears. I'm just saying this fear is bigger and greater. This awe that we have and remembering who God is in our lives and the promises that God has for us is greater than this fear. Because you have to understand that the, the opposite uh, of fear is not more courage. The opposite of fear is having trust. And, and so when we encounter these crossroads uh, of fear, I'm not saying, well, we just need to be braver and we need to be stronger. As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. We have to throw our hands up and say, we just need to trust more. In this fear, the awesomeness, the reverence, the holiness, the strength and the power of God. Yes, this fear still exists, but this fear that we have in God is stronger and more powerful and bigger than what this could ever present in our lives. And just quickly, I'll say this. We remember to fear, yes, to fear. But with that fear, we don't have the fears of the imagined, the pakad. We're so overwhelmed with the yarah that the pakad gets shrunk down. Second thing to remember that Jesus says, remember, is this there will always be enough. 
You see in chapter 14, verse 26 that we just read, he says, I will teach you everything. Now, I don't want to nerd out more because we've already done that. But in this Greek conjugation of this word everything, it's this understanding that Jesus will teach us everything that is in existence. Something that the things that are already in completion or an action that is happening. In other words, Jesus, what Jesus is not saying is he doesn't mean that you'll know everything. When Jesus says, I'll teach you everything, he's not saying, I'm going, to te- you're going to, I'm going to unravel everything to you right now in this place. I know that we want that. Like, God, what are you saying? What do you want from me? Why am I afraid of this? Why am I encountering this? I'm terrified. Jesus, tell me how this is all going to unfold. And when Jesus says, I'm going to teach you everything, it doesn't mean I'm going to do all of that for you. It just means in this time and place, Right now, in the present, I will give you just enough. Right now. And in the moments when we want to know everything and how things will turn out and the outcome of every decision and all these fears that, you know, want, that force us to want answers, Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not what I promise. I just promise you that for right now, Right here, you'll have enough. You'll be enough. You are enough. And that's why I love in, in Matthew chapter 6, it says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I don't know if that's actually encouraging uh, or not. I read that, I'm like, man, that's really discouraging. But here, Jesus is saying this is supposed to be an encouragement. But... <laughs> Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, we'll deal with tomorrow when tomorrow gets here. But for now, whatever you feel, whatever fear, or whatever you are terrified of, I'm going to give you enough. So just stand in awe of me. Make me bigger than these fears. I liken it to, and I hate that I'm using this example, but I think it fits really well to uh, working out. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to the gym where, you know, you're about to do a bench press when you lay down, you have the barbell, and, you know, you look to the person next to you, maybe, what, just me? No, some of you guys have done this, like, bro, um, do you mind giving me a spot? And so what that means is someone's going to get behind you and just spot the weight for you if it's too heavy. And when I coach, so I coach on the side, and I love it, and when we do bench pressing, I always say, make sure you have a partner, and make sure your partner knows when you're in trouble, and that your partner knows how to spot you, meaning if it gets too heavy to lift, then your spotter will help you lift it. But here's the deal. One thing that I tell the spotter is, don't just go up to the weight and see that he's in trouble and just lift it up with all your strength and put it back. That does nobody any good. What I want you to do is recognize that, yes, they need help, but just to give them just enough for them to lift the barbell up. So if you are the one needing the spot, if you're the one having trouble... Don't just give up and say, all right, spotter, take it away. You still need to finish the lift. You still need to keep going. You still need to put in your strength. But don't you worry because even though while everything you have is not enough, there will be a spotter that gives you just enough help. I feel like oftentimes when it comes to fear, Jesus is saying, don't you worry. Keep moving. 
Keep praying, keep changing, keep loving. Love, uh, while I'm gone, love one another. Keep doing all of that. Don't stop. Yet I will give you just enough. You see, fear is a liar. See, fear forces us to be so consumed with tomorrow that it robs you, robs me of today. That's what fear does. Fear tells you you don't have enough, and Jesus tells you it's already done. The victory is already there because of his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus has already been victorious. Jesus has already won. And that's what we cling to. That's what we hold on to. Therefore, you have enough. You have enough. That's not diminishing your experience, your trauma, your pain. But I'm saying the reality of what the scripture says is that you have enough. A bite, sometimes it feels just enough. When you want a plethora of, of it. You want more and more in abundance. And sometimes that's the way that God works. But sometimes God gives you just enough. May we cling to that. So I feel like sometimes we've been so afraid of fear and we always think that fear is a bad thing. And, 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 and I just want to do justice right now and to quickly just talk about sometimes fear could be a way to tell you that it's not the wrong thing, but it's actually the right thing. Of course, you can't, that can't be the answer to every single time someone says, I'm afraid of something. But sometimes when I meet with people, like, I'm so afraid. I want to do this, but I'm so afraid. And sometimes I'm like, maybe that fear is telling you that you should do it, not double negative, not do it. And maybe, and I do believe in a spiritual realm that maybe it's a, it's a lie of the devil saying that you should be afraid, when in reality, God is saying you should not be afraid. You know, if, if you've ever played basketball, okay, I'm not, I'm not a huge basketball player, but I remember uh, playing basketball, and I think about these basketball games, and, you know, imagine this with me while you're playing basketball, is that you're, you're dribbling, and the other team, so here's how you know how good you are, is by who guards you on the other side. Does that make sense? Like, for me, I know my skill level of basketball because the other team is yelling, don't worry about him. Go cover somebody else. Let him do his thing. Don't worry about it. So then you kind of know where your skill level is at. And, and then there's times where there's basketball players and teams where they say, that guy on the other team, double team that person. Double team that person. And, and on the other side, you can say, well, what's your problem, dude? Like, why are you double teaming me? Like, why are you putting your guys to guard me? Like, you could be upset at that. You could be afraid of that. You could be intimidated by that. But what if you would know, and actually oftentimes this is true, the reason why they're being double teamed is because they're that good. It's not because they're picking on you. It's not because you're doing something wrong. It's because you're that good. And so instead of being upset over it, you should be like, oh, you know what? They're double teaming me and giving me all this trouble and all this pain because they know that what I'm doing is actually good and it's supposed to be what I'm doing and the right thing and they must think that I'm a really good basketball player. What if there's times in our lives where there's things that we're supposed to be doing and that very thing the devil knows you're supposed to be doing that and so the devil double teams you Puts in fear, puts in uh, being terrified, concern, doubt, questioning. Sometimes it's a sign that says, keep going. 
Because the last reminder is this, you will never be alone. The Holy Spirit is with you, is what uh, the verses that we just read. The Holy Spirit is with you. See, research has found that fear isn't about necessarily the things that will take your life, although that is something to be afraid of. It's not something that will physically cause harm to you, although that is something to be afraid of. But at the heart of fear is having the unknown. And so in this article that I read about fear and the study of fear, the, an example of it was snakes. Like for me, I have a huge fear of snakes too. And this person doing the research had a huge fear of snakes. But as the research went on, it wasn't the fact that they actually thought the snake was going to kill the person, although that could be it. It was the unknown. How did the snake move? What is that sound? How does it move just, and it just moves one way and it slithers and it goes, you know, changes directions and it goes really fast. Uh, but, but how does it move? And as you start to uncover how it moves, his fear of this research went a little bit lower and a little bit lower and lower and lower. It doesn't mean it disappeared. It just means it got a little bit lower because at the heart of fear is the unknown. And so what Jesus is saying is even though you go into the places of the unknown, you can know that I will be with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. I may be gone. Things might not be good. But Jesus can say, do not have fear, because if at the heart of fear is an unknown, and Jesus has given us confidence saying, what you can know forever and ever is that the Spirit will be with you. This isn't the way that the world gives. The world offers self-medication, money, relationships, unhealthy relationships, I would say, upward mobility. And what Jesus is saying is, I give you my peace through the spirit that transcends all understanding. So it's no wonder all throughout the scriptures, God says, do not be afraid. For I am with you. One of my favorite verses, when Joshua goes in, Jesus, God says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And as a worship team back, comes back up in a time of just reflection, just know that this isn't a lie. Whatever you might be afraid of this morning, whatever causes you anxiety, whatever causes you terror, know that the Spirit is with you so that you may move from Pakad to Yerah. That though those fears might be real and they're in your life, that there is something to be more fearful of when I say fearful of, to worship, to honor, to have awesomeness towards, and that's God. God is with you. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. That is the promise. And that gets us through every single day. So don't worry about tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow has enough problems of its own. But here and now, as you sit in that seat, you have enough. So cling to that. That promise.
promise that God has for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your promises that in the midst of fear, uncertainty, the moments that we're terrified, that we can call it out and say that is a liar and say not today. Because what is today and forevermore is your spirit within us, the spirit of love that casts out all fears. And so God, this morning, may we find hope in that. May we find fear in you and you alone and not give that power of fear away to the things that are not deserving of it. Help us. In your name we pray. Amen and amen.